Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 273. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman so that we can break down that fantastic new trailer for Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania. But before that starts, I want to also let you know about Fan Show Plus. That is the premium podcast that is available at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts if you search for the MCU Fan Show channel or Fan Show Plus, you can find it there and hear us talk about extra MCU stuff. Most recently on Fan Show Plus, I was able to answer a lot of listener questions about some really, really interesting MCU topics, so I certainly recommend that you check that out and also maybe send in some of your own questions. Uh, so make sure you are checking out Fan Show Plus. Again, that's at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts. Also make sure you're following the, the show in the places you can, at MCU Fan Show on Instagram and Twitter. And if you're enjoying the show, we really would appreciate a rating and review from you over on Apple Podcasts. Thanks to everyone who has already taken the time to share their review. And now, on with our show. I'm going to ask you how you're doing, Paul Herman, but first, I'm so mad at myself for not saying before the music that it was time to begin a new dynasty. So shame on me Ooh. for just missing that opportunity. I am so bad at podcasting. I no. just, I just I ruined it. But anyway, uh, how are you, Paul Herman? Man, uh, Paul Herman is 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 doing pretty well. It's been a minute, man. It's been a minute. It uh, has, yeah. This is our our first show. We took most of December off yeah, after we yeah. broke down the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three trailer. Um, but I'm happy to be back. I mean, there was still stuff yeah. going on over on Fan Show Plus, by the way, which is why it's always worth uh, subscribing there. But um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's we're a couple weeks into the new year now, so it, it almost feels wrong to say Happy New Year, but Happy New Year anyway, Paul, and Happy yes, New Year to everyone. You, sir. It's our new year, uh, so Happy New yes. Year to everyone listening. Um, also, Paul, as, as you mm. may or may not be aware, mm. with this now being January of 2023, mm -hmm. uh, and also speaking of Fan Show Plus, this mm. month marks the fifth anniversary of us offering premium content no uh, way. in podcast Five form. Years? Yeah, we started doing it in January of 2018 yeah. was when we launched the Patreon, and we still have that, but then we also have Fan Show Plus over on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, this has been a pretty solid run for us these past five okay. years. I mean, we were doing shows uh, at, at a pretty good clip for a while, and then 2017, because of job stuff on my end, you know, the, the podcast mm -hmm. uh, dipped a little bit, but then we came back in, in full force with the Road to Infinity War back in mm -hmm. 2018 and also started doing the Patreon stuff. So, yeah, it's a five-year anniversary of a premium podcast from us. Well, so you know, that's pretty fun. Yeah, you know, if I, if I may... And, and by the way, real quick, some of you have been subscribing for all five of those years. Yes. So thank you so much yeah. to people who've been doing that. But also, even if you are just now subscribing for like your first month, thank you so much. Like, that's awesome, no matter how long right. uh, you've, you've been on the ride for us. And even if you're also just... Not subscribing yeah. to the, the premium stuff and listening to the free stuff, whether that's since we yeah. started this podcast in 2015 or Modern Myth Media way back in 2011. Um, thank you all so much for uh, for the yeah. support. It, it's it's pretty incredible that uh, and it's a really amazing feeling that we know that we just blather on about this stuff yes. that we love so much. And there are those of you who 
love and care about this stuff just as much as we do and, and want to you know join us for these little get-togethers and these little fan-out yeah. sessions uh, every week. And so thank you so much for, for doing yeah. that. You know, and I, just to add to that, too, I want to say thank you because five years, I mean, honestly, guys, your extra support has helped me because, you know, Sean, obviously, you know, he shares with uh, with me as well. And it has helped me, honestly, bless me and helped me through some tough times myself. So everyone who's contributed, I really do appreciate it. It goes a long way because believe it or not, you know, Sean puts a lot of time into this. And then we record. We I take a good chunk of my day out because I, I love to do it. But this stuff does help me because, you know, life gets crazy and, you know, life is tough. And I just want to say thank you for everyone who's done support of the Patreon because it does go a long way. And I re- and I do and I do really appreciate it. Um, everyone's support. So thank you. And everyone who listens to the show, that support is also is equally great, too. It's just anything you guys can do is always really helpful for us and for me. Always really appreciate it. Thank you so much for everyone who's con- contributed in the past, present, future. You're all very much appreciated. Very much appreciated, and I'm just glad you're all with us for, you know, we started, well, I shouldn't say, we relaunched with a road to Infinity War, and now, for the first time since then, you know, it kind of feels like we're back on a road, Paul, and I I think, um, except a a road almost feels too small uh, (laughs) for the multiverse uh, and the way things are going or the direction that they are headed in in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Although, I mean, this is not a culmination yeah. like Infinity War and Endgame were. Um, this is the beginning of a new dynasty, as Marvel tells us in this latest trailer for Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. But, uh, and we'll talk about some of these other broader, you know, MCU topics as we as we go on through this. But in finally, in, in true... Uh, MCU fan show podcast fashion, like we're going to be talking for several minutes before we get to our actual topic that you all started listening to. So, um, but uh, if you listen to this part and don't just keep hitting the skip 30 seconds button, thanks so much for that. Um, But if you, if you skip to the meat, that's fine too. But for this trailer with Ant-Man and the Wasp quantum mania, Paul, just before we even get into what they actually showed us during uh, that, they made us wait so long for in a, in a college football mm-hmm. game that was not competitive Ooh. for longer than 37 seconds uh, for Georgia and, and, and poor TCU. But what I thought was so interesting about this, and this really, this thought legitimately, legitimately occurred to me as I was just waiting on the cat, sitting on the couch, waiting for this trailer to debut. And I'm scrolling through Twitter and seeing everybody else like, where is this trailer? Like, oh, they're not doing it at halftime. It's going to be end of the third quarter. It might be the first time, Paul, that I can remember anybody even caring what time the Ant-Man trailer was going to drop. Like, and this is the oh, third yeah. film in this franchise. And I, I say that not as a knock on either of the first two films, which I love and especially adore the first one. Ant-Man's a classic. Yeah. That's a classic. And as I always say, because it uh, it's true, it, one of the most rewatchable movies in the entire MCU. Can there's never a bad time to put that movie on. It's it's just great. But the the different the Ant Man franchise just hasn't had this place in the MCU. It hasn't been a tone setter in the MCU. It hasn't been an event in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And in fact, it was. You know the the epilogue of Phase Two with the first film, and it was one of the the in between movie. It was the the nice fun relief until that mid credit scene, following the emotional experience that was Avengers: Infinity War, especially the very end of that film. 
The Ant-Man franchise has just never played the role that it's playing now in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, and that's why it really it really stuck out to me is because it we're not the only ones feeling this way. You know, we I know obviously we've been talking about it on the podcast. I think a lot of you listening have felt this way, but in terms of the energy of just everyone, even the the people I follow who uh, are obviously are into and cover movies and stuff like that, but they're not their whole world doesn't revolve around the MCU the way that, you know, ours does. And so um, even they were just wanting to see this new Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania trailer. And that's where it was really setting in for me is a lot of people, even people who maybe didn't realize it as they were being so impatient on Monday night, a lot of people were feeling this way. And a lot of people are feeling this way about this movie. And that's a totally different space for the Ant-Man franchise to occupy. And I know we've talked about how this is a bigger movie than we've seen in the franchise and everything, but this is where I'm seeing the evidence of, and granted, it's purely anecdotal. It's not a representative sample. I know how data works, but it was there. I saw it. I'm feeling it, perceiving it. The, the box office will tell the tale ultimately, but I am getting the sense that we are not the only ones who have this sense, Paul, that mm-hmm. this the idea of how big of an event this movie is um, in a way that Ant-Man, Ant-Man movies have just never been characterized or marketed or felt before, it is totally different. And it is a wonderful feeling for the Ant-Man franchise to feel like this level of an event with Quantumania. And you know, to be in an event type of year, an event type of space in the MCU again, um, is just a, a really extraordinary feeling. And that's all before... They showed us the trailer. This is just what I was thinking and feeling as we were waiting for the trailer, because rather than being impatient, I decided to focus on the positive. Isn't it great that everybody's so impatient about seeing this trailer? Because they've never been this impatient waiting for an Ant-Man trailer. Well, it's so loaded what you're talking about, because they're... The whole Ant-Man uh, thing is really fascinating to talk about because I you know, go back to those old shows. I, I again, it's been so long now, Sean. I don't know if it was Modern Myth Media or Marvel Neural News Show or whatever. You know, what if we were our, in, our incarnation? We are now, but I can tell With you, Ant-Man, it would have been Marvel News, I think. Marvel, <laughs> yeah, 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 Marvel News, yeah. So if you listen to that back in the day, I was not excited about this at all. The first Ant-Man movie and. I was I was going into that thing, and this is going to be the first Marvel flop, if you will, um, or just kind of the first Marvel film where I'm really just not, not going to love it. Besides Dark World, that at that point, and obviously, if you know me now, I think Ant Man's t- one of the top tier Marvel films. I love that movie, movie to death, and I think the second movie, which I've only seen twice, and I haven't really felt going like going back and watching it again. Um, it's not the worst thing in the world. It's not, it's not, I just have no interest in really rewatching it, unfortunately. Because it's got pretty much the whole same. Everyone's the same from the first film into the second one. It just doesn't really register with me for whatever reason, you know? But that being said, you bring up a great point is that everyone's excited about this. And this is not just the same thing from the previous two films, you know? And I think it's only natural to to build off what made the first movie so good. And I think they they try to do that in the second film. This is completely different. And I think it shows you the versatility of Marvel, the fact that they're able to like, oh, you know what? Like we can do something completely bonkers like Quantum Mania and throw that in as, as in an Ant-Man film and everyone's just going to eat it up. And be like, cool. You know what I mean? Like that's 
that shows you the power of the brand and I think of the mythology that it comes from. Shows you how good I think Marvel is as a, you know a, a, the characters and and how versatile everyone is, and, and along with the storytellers around and the directors. I mean, Peyton Reed. I like Peyton Reed a lot. And, you know, I love that first Ant-Man Ant movie to cr like crazy. And he's directed some minus, again, not counting the Luke Skywalker episode. He's directed maybe some of the best Mandalorian episodes. That second episode, the, the Ice Spider episode, is phenomenal. And, you know, I, people don't talk about that episode enough. It's so good. It's so good. And I, when, you, when I watch those two episodes of Mandalorian and I watch Quantum Media trailers... I'm just like, man, like I'm so I'm stoked for Peyton Reed, you know, because it feels like he's he's really up in his game and in so many different levels. And I don't know. I I just think it's really cool that yes, we're all excited for it, but it just shows you how versatile Marvel really is because of everything that Ant-Man's gone through. You can put him in this crazy scenario. If you if you look at it in a vacuum of, of those those three films, it does it's just like what? It's kind of weird, right? It's kind of bonkers. Whereas, like now, it's like, oh, it just it just kind of fits into it. it. Shows you the power of the brand of Marvel and how amazing this connected universe really can be. Yeah, people can say it's it's you know it's getting passe in some ways or whatever. I don't think so. But I'm just saying it shows you how powerful the connected universe can be and how fun it can be and how it really actually can strengthen your storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think that you know. Well, we I thought that I thought we would talk about this a little bit later. Might as well talk about it now. But I, I know because as you mentioned there, um, you know the feeling like oh, where's the audience's where's the audience's appetite for the MCU right now? Because there was nothing in 2022 in terms of box office that you know broke out in the way that Spider Man No Way Home did, but that never really could have or should have been the reasonable expectation for any of the movies that were out in 2022. Um, I mean, frankly, they all performed very, very well. Like you, they're all hit movies as far as the ones that we saw in 2022, but maybe we didn't see a, uh, you know, a massive hit on the level of no way home. And, and even on the, the Disney plus series side of things, we didn't see, you know, people, there was a lot of love out there for moon Knight, Miss Marvel, and She-Hulk, and uh, She-Hulk Attorney at Law, and I, I think that, but maybe nothing was really just grabbing hold of the conversation in the way that maybe want, that WandaVision did, or Loki did in 2021, but I, uh, you know, teasing the uh, the questions, the Q&A episode on Fanshow Plus, you know, I, I had a question about this, and, and talking about the audience, uh, is there any thought, you know, the idea of the audience kind of losing its appetite a little bit for the Marvel Cinematic Universe? And I just don't think so. I, I think what's happened here, and I promise this gets us back to Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, but you know I like to digress, everyone. So I, I think what the audience or what a lot of us following the MCU have maybe forgotten about, or maybe some haven't experienced this because their fandom for the MCU is, is relatively new within the last few years. And that's not to say they're any less of a fan than you or I or anyone listening. They're not, they're fans. So, uh, and I'm glad everybody's joining the party and can't wait for more people to join the party and, and loving the Marvel cinematic universe, you know, Ant-Man and the Wasp being something that creates new fans for the MCU. Cause that'll happen too. But I think whether you're just starting, you've only recently started following the MCU, or even those of us who followed it from the beginning, 
we were kind of spoiled with the way things culminated in 2018 and 2019, obviously with Endgame, Infinity War, but other, you know, other heights within that, of course, like Black Panther in 2018, that, and then of course we all had nothing in 2020 and we were starved for MCU content. And when we finally got some in 2021, I mean, we started off with the first ever Marvel Studios Disney Plus series, which remains, in my humble opinion, the best Marvel Studios Disney Plus series in WandaVision. And another one shortly after that got pretty close in Loki. And then obviously on the movie front, a lot of people maybe not being over the moon with Black Widow, but so much love for that, especially Florence Pugh as a brand new character in Yelena Belova in that film. So much love for Shang-Chi when that came out. Okay, maybe a little bit of a dip and not everybody loving Eternals, but Marvel got everybody right back with Spider-Man No Way Home. And a lot of, you know, love, maybe not on the same level of WandaVision or Loki, but a lot of love for Hawkeye as good holiday, uh, as good holiday fun, uh, which also we should say are sending our best and well wishes for a recovery to our, our dear Hawkeye, Jeremy Renner. Um, for those who've uh, followed along with him uh, this month. So our, our best wishes, of course, to Mr. Renner. And so going through, um, you know, 2021 was kind of another banner year for a starved MCU audience. I don't think 2022 was as strong across the board in the MCU as 2021 was. It wasn't bad. It wasn't a down year. It just wasn't as high up as the up years that we had in 2018, 2019, 2021 is a gap year, you know, 2018, 2019, 2020 gap year, and then 2021 so when you follow the MCU uh, for as long as we have, you know, it's important to remember, you know, there have been some years that maybe weren't quite on the level as the year before or the year that would follow. And that's kind of 2022 for me. And that's not to take anything away from it, because even though I wasn't a big fan of Multiverse of Madness, I loved Love and Thunder more than most people did, was a big fan of all three Disney Plus series that we got last year, and of course loved Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. So it was still a very good year, even if it didn't reach the heights of 2021. And that's all a very long windup, as I promised I would loop this back around to Quantumania to say, I think 2023 is one of those years where that MCU fandom and energy and love where it hits another surge, where this is going to, we're going back into an up year. We're going into what is more of an event year, I think, in the MCU, which I think you could feel right away with Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, and it's going to continue in a very different way with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, but as a culmination for that series, for that franchise, that's going to be big. And by the way, I know we haven't seen much from it, but a teaser is probably on the way, I would think, to be paired with Quantumania for the Marvels, which is still due out in July of this year. So when we get a chance to see these movies this year, like I think we're going to see some pretty big stuff in the MCU, starting with Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. And I think any notion out there that the MCU is running out of gas or that there's, you know, the audience's interest in this is is waning or anything like that, I think you're going to see that it is quite the contrary. And, and frankly, as I said, I was already feeling that on Monday night with just the way people were, were sitting back and, and waiting for this trailer and getting really frustrated with a college football game because they just wanted to see this trailer. And then it finally dropped, Paul, and it 
it blew my mind. And and I know that I was uh, I was kind of expecting to have my mind blown, but um, at the same time, like it it just did it anyway. Like I had pretty high and pretty high level of anticipation and expectation for this trailer because I really like the teaser. I have very high hopes for this movie because we're talking about bigger stakes uh, than we've seen thus far. I, I think in terms of where we are at with the our journey through the multiverse in the MCU, my love of the Ant-Man franchise and what Peyton Reed has done with this franchise as a director, and maybe perhaps we'll continue on not just as a not just as an Ant-Man director, but possibly an Avengers Secret Wars director. I mean, he's certainly still one of the top candidates that's out there as a potential director for this movie. And then Kang, like since we saw Jonathan Majors, I mean, heard that he was going to be playing this character in the first place, but then saw him as he who remains in the Loki finale. And as extraordinary as his performance was in just that one episode, I was so excited to meet his other variants uh, and meet at least one of them in this movie and what he would do as Kang. And look, he's been a great actor outside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He's just unbelievable. I can't wait to see him in the next Creed movie that's coming out in March. Jonathan Majors is just outstanding. And so I, what I was anticipating so much was seeing more of him in this trailer. And boy, did we get that. And everything that I thought would be great about his performance as Kang it was all there and then some. He is magnetic. He is charismatic. He is intimidating. He is all of these things at once in, in his performance as Kang. And whether he's just being very chilling and talking about Scott Lang and trying to strike a deal or threatening Scott Lang, attacking Scott Lang, whatever he's doing, I am just drawn to Jonathan Majors as Kang and then I'm going to go ahead and skip to, because it took long enough to start talking about specific things from it, I'm going to skip to the end of the trailer because that was the moment I texted you about. I said that last shot of Kang is everything, where he's just walking toward camera and we see the blue face and then he just screams and lets out those blasts from his hands. And that is probably my favorite promotional shot of a, not probably, it is, as I tweeted it, my favorite uh, Marvel villain shot from like a piece of promotional material since I first saw Thanos throw a moon when they showed the Avengers Infinity War footage at D23 Expo in July of 2017. I just love that shot. I love the message that this sends about Kang. I don't necessarily think it's all about the trailer, because as I said, I, I think there's already been this feeling that this is not an MCU movie to miss, that this is one that is appointment viewing, event viewing in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But for a trailer that says witness the beginning of the new dynasty uh, of a new dynasty, you really have to say a lot about who you're saying a lot about who is leading that new dynasty, whose name it's under. And you have to communicate and send a message about that character and sell the audience on that character. And I think they have totally done that with Kang's presence in this trailer. I They did a, a good enough job of kind of giving us you know, the 30,000-foot view of the plot and everything, which we'll get into as we continue our, our breakdown of this trailer. But just in terms of sending the message of here's the new big bad in the MCU with Kang, that's a very tall order considering the legendary, you know, multi-phase, uh, you know, saga big bad of Thanos the first time around. And, uh, well, this is not to compare Kang to Thanos. It's much too early to do any of that sort of stuff, and it will ultimately be reductive to do it anyway. Um, but just in terms of the initial 
Because you can't count on, you can't use, you can't just count on everybody saw Loki and remembers that finale, especially since this is a different version of the character anyway. You really have to sell this from scratch. I mean, you had a little bit of a teaser trailer to kind of introduce the audience a little bit to this character, but this is the one that really has to blow it up in, in a big way. And they totally do that. I mean, this trailer has. This movie must have a lot of great Kang stuff uh, throughout because they were able to put so much of it in this trailer and, you know, so mm-hmm. much of it does such a great job setting the tone for this character. But it's not just him being chilling and sounding intimidating. Uh, you you see it full on in that last shot when Kang just goes nuts and it's awesome. Man, this is Kang has always been one of those characters in the in the, in the Marvel Universe pantheon of villains that I I've always been intrigued by. I've always loved. He's so complex because his background's insane and ridiculous and and over the top. But there's a look, there's just a look of the character. He's so unconventional. Like the purple and green is so it's so 60s. And but when you put it in live action, it looks phenomenal. And it really does. I, I love the aesthetic. And he looks he looks unsettling. It's almost like this, the purple and green, it comes across as like, he is from the future. Like this is this whole thing. I don't know, it's, it's the way they, they bring it out is perfect to me. And it really emphasizes that it's, he's not of this time and it, but it almost, it does have that Roman feel, Sean. It has, there mm-hmm. is that the robes and everything. They really do give it this really like, there is that futuristic tone, but there's also a nod to the past, which is perfect for Kang. Right? So, I love everything we've got from from this character, and obviously, with, we've talked about ad nauseum with Loki, the He Who Remains episode, which is I think one of the best MCU episode TV show episodes ever, um, was phenomenal. Um, and just the fact that of taking and tweaking the original continuity of the six sixteen universe, the comic books, and tweaking things, merging things together, it really does set up a great um, background or a, a setup, I should say for what we're going to be getting in the MCU. And I think quantum mania, we, you know, I, I'm intrigued because I, as everyone knows, who listens to this, this show on a regular basis, I try to stay away from spoilers. I know too much already. And I, and we've, we've speculated myself and I don't, I don't know if it's been confirmed or not, but I'm just intrigued as hell. Why Kang's on, you know, stuck in this, you know, in right, right now in the, in the, in the microverse, um, you know, right now. Right. Like I have no idea where you know where he, what he's doing there and why and why he needs ant-man and we've talked about that and it feels like he's stuck like he he's been pr- imprisoned there and you know like he who remains talked about before there's worse versions of me and i've just you know we talk about the dynasty and that to me is what's really fascinating is i think we're going to be getting a very unique aspect of of, a, of these different versions of characters and what makes you who you are a little bit right and, I, and that to me is really fascinating because one of the things they, they really talked about touch about on this trailer is time and how and, and obviously with kang done no 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 sh sherlock i get it right but no what i love about here is i didn't really know where, where the connection with ant-man was going to be and when the fact that we get the whole you know cassie and, he, and there's a couple cut scenes here or there of like him look at the picture of his little girl and then all, you know, cut to her in prison, like emulating him. Like there's I'm like, oh, OK, this is the through line here. 
And this is where Kang is going to use this to his advantage and what he can, you know, for time and whatnot and, and showing what he lost in those five years and the value of time. That to me is also really intriguing here, Sean, because Kang doesn't value time the same way as we all do. You know, he's offered it to Scott like it's going to save him. But really, we all know that Kang's just going to use it against him. Mm-hmm. And but but for but for Scott, he's like, oh, man, I need this but to get to get to have that time back. And is that time really valuable? Like, again, going back, I'm going deep here for a second, but this, this is why you're here, people. Um, the whole idea of do you let go of the past or do you, you know, or you hold on to the past or do you press on to the future? Like what which one are you going to do? And that's what this movie's themes are are being based on with using Kang. And I think it's really awesome because. These are these are definitely things that I I'm like man as a father I'm like damn dude like I put myself in Scott's shoes and I'm like I think I'd probably do the same thing because that's the only only thing that matters to him and he probably sees how his daughter's you know turned out a certain way he's like if I was there to, to help mold her but again I, I'm not saying that's the right thing to do either but it just it's really interesting that Kang's gonna use that against him because he doesn't value time the same way Kang's a conqueror he's gonna use time to go he doesn't look at it like that at all. Like he can just go back and forth. Back yeah, I and mean, forth. he even says many times in the comic books, time means nothing. Exactly. When it work, when you have yeah, an it. infinite supply, it, you tend not to value it. Yeah, and I think this is where I think we're going to be getting the difference between Thanos and um and and Kang are they're, they're big baddies. They're going to be powerful. You know, yeah, duh. But the cool thing about Kang, I think, is is that he there's going to be limitations of within himself. Because of himself, because of all the different variations he has, and he knows his weaknesses. And I feel like the Avengers and this and, and the multiverse saga is basically gonna be just them in between all of it. And that's gonna be really intriguing because I think Kang's gonna be susceptible to being defeated. But the difference is, is that there's gonna they're gonna be like there's gonna be too many different versions of them to k- kind of keep up. And that's gonna be a totally different dynamic than what Thanos is. And I also think that like you know, Thanos had like, you know. He had his sick ideas where I think we're going to see probably a lot, not, I wouldn't say Loki level of sympathy, but the whole, you know, the whole idea of what makes Kang Kang and why he's, he's seeking out all these things. I mean, I just read that comic I told you to read a couple weeks ago, which I'll, and I read it, it I, I very really quick. Did you like it? I did like it. So okay, yeah, there's, you know, the, there's a 2021 Kang miniseries. It was five issues and, you know, I'm, I'm glad you, you brought that up because, and, and I do recommend reading it. You can find it on Marvel Unlimited, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there we go, plugging Marvel Unlimited and getting no yeah. money for it. But uh, hey, <laughs> but hey, we're we're just promoting you guys reading some we're, comic we're professionals. books. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you yeah. know, this is where you get the info. But yeah, the yeah. that Kang comic was a really good illustration of what you were talking about in terms of like Kang gets defeated, and in, in some ways, like okay, like. Comic book writers have to do a, a thing where they they have to explain yes. how <laughs> how a supposedly all powerful intimidating villain has lost so many freaking times <laughs> in the comic books, right? And that's not a Kang issue. That's a Kang issue. That's a Joker issue. That's a Thanos issue. That's a, every big bad issue, um, you know, in comic books because yeah, they get used and reused over and over again. But the way it's been done with Kang in that miniseries is not that it's the first one to go over some of that territory, but it was a really good illustration of it. Is that, you know, Kang is, I mean, he is in some ways like a Tony Stark out of time. Like he can't 
help himself. And he is ultimately the reason he loses over and over again because he always thinks he's mm-hmm. learning and using time to, I mean, he even goes back and tries to educate younger versions of himself to not repeat the same mistakes and whatever. But inevitably, it's all still coming from the same ego and the same tendencies and the same whatever to the point where he doesn't even always know that he's stuck in these same loops and that by trying to fix things, he's putting he's only further cementing his place in these various loops to where like these cycles will repeat themselves. But the movies won't work quite like the comic books. He's not going to lose as many times in the movies as he has in the comic books because he's not going to show up as many times in the movies as he has in the comic books. But the point still remains for this character in that what you are going to see is a guy who, I mean, different versions of him and trying to conquer all. And, you know, what I mean, going into that miniseries, like part of that, what, the, what, what that Kang felt was his undoing was love and how that was what ultimately defeated exactly. him. And, and, and I, I think that is ultimately what he's using against Scott. And so when we talk about comic books influencing these things, mm-hmm. Scott has this love, obviously, for his daughter. It's a love that Kang, I don't know if he, this version of Kang genuinely feels it, but he certainly knows he can count on it, that a, a father loves his daughter and he's going to use that. Why in the world Kang needs Scott Lang to do anything remains one of the biggest mysteries of this movie to me. Um, but we that will be explained to us when we see the actual film. But as far as the, the mechanics of that. But... I can't wait. Yeah, like, no, I'm me, like, I, I, me like, neither. Seriously, like I have no... I have... I, my mind starts going all over the place of why he needs him. Like, why is, is he in prison there? Like, he has to be in prison. He right? has like, to be. I mean, well, there is that there is that line of when he says, you know, but you've lost a lot of time like me. And says, like, that's something I can help you with. Like, we can help each other. And even going to the very end of the trailer when Scott's like, I don't have to win. You know, I just need us both to lose, right? Of like, okay, I need to make sure that you don't get what you want. So somehow, some way probably through his own doing and screwing up because that's typical Kang. Um, He's got himself trapped in the quantum realm. I don't know how, I don't know why there's uh, that's my best guess. Somehow he's got him trapped. He's been able to build Chronopolis. At least that's the big city that we all presume is Chronopolis inside the quantum realm. And he's raised his army there. And obviously he has these abilities like, uh, Janet Van Dyne, Michelle Pfeiffer, who finally gets a real role in this, <laughs> thankfully, Seriously. after being wasted in Ant Man and the uh, in Ant Man and the Wasp, she like gets you know she knows the score on this. She actually knows that this guy can shatter timelines and and all of these things. Like so, obviously his power level is there. It's known. It's been demonstrated. But there has to be something that has allowed this version of Kang to go no further, at least for quite some time here in the quantum realm. What that is, I don't know, but I, I think what I, I like about this, what I, I, I like the presence of Kang, I like the performance of Jonathan Majors, everything about this is just working on so many different levels. I like that he tries to appeal to Scott's emotions, but I also like that we see that inevitably that does like that works for a while, but it only works to a point before Scott realizes that, okay, well, Regardless of what I want, you know, of the time I want back with my daughter, it's not worth what I'm going to allow this person to do if I help him. And so that will, of course, be the unraveling of their deal. And we see Kang flip a different switch. 
when that happens. And just having different levels to this character, um, which, by the way, is also there in the comic books. Like, Kang can sit there and wax poetic about mm-hmm. conquering worlds and and put himself above, like, intellectually above everything. Everything that represents any sort of interaction between sentient beings, I'm above and beyond all of that because I see all of it all at once and whatever. But then when it gets down to it, Kang will just be flat out brutal and mean and nasty and just mm-hmm. and, and lose his shit. And that is what is par- a huge part of what is so crazy and, and fun about this character as an antagonist. And he's not the first antagonist to be like that, by the way. Many of them have. Even Thanos has his moments like that. But Kang has it in his own way. And Jonathan Majors as a performer is, is obviously bringing his own version of that in this performance. And and by the way, this is just, you know, the second of probably many versions of Kang that we will still see him play. Uh, we're probably going to get a handful of them for all we know in, in Kang Dynasty uh, before too long. But yeah, I, I think what everything that they are introducing here with Kang is so spot on. I think it's a great representation of the character from the comic books, but it's also, you know, an elevation of the character in some ways. And, and that's kind of what happens when you get an all world actor to come in and play one of these characters. And they've just so, they've just been so fortunate to have Jonathan Majors here. But also I, I like what, where this trailer is, is placing Scott in this story. And, mm-hmm. you know, to that point you, you brought up, I mean, thematically, if, for everyone who wants to, like, because I know there's this other side of it, Paul, like, for people who are, like, the Ant-Man franchise and no size puns intended, okay? Let me throw that disclaimer out there. There are, But there are those who've liked it, the Ant-Man franchise has been small in the MCU, that it's been in its own little corner, its own little space, and, you know, been able to operate mostly separate from the larger MCU, and that's kind of been part of its charm and, and and part of the fun of that franchise. I don't disagree with that, but I also don't think the that the Ant-Man franchise needs to be boxed into that either, and I think allowing mm-hmm. the Ant-Man franchise to operate in that space for a while, and then obviously with everything that got all Quantum and Ant-Man-y in Endgame, expand on that for Quantumania all of that is is worthwhile. It's worth pursuing because, frankly, if you just made another small Ant-Man film for the third one, everybody would be complaining that it's repetitive. It's the, it's the same old stuff, and this trilogy will have just you know whimpered out to uh, you know a, an oversimplified finish and an unsatisfying finish. I don't think that's what's happening here because they're expanding it. But what is what is key about that though is as you are expanding it as you are making it a bigger piece of the of the puzzle for the MCU and the multiverse and all of those things and making the Ant-Man franchise more of a, a driving force for the bro- what's going on in the broader MCU what you have to be able to maintain is the emotional core of the franchise and that is kept here as I see in this trailer the emotional core of that first movie is it's just a guy trying to figure out a way to see his kid. And one of my favorite scenes in the first Ant-Man movie is Scott sitting there in the van trying to do, doing the math to figure, because he has to catch up on child support, what, it, what it's going to take for him and how long it's probably going to take him to be able to see his kid again. Because that's com- coming out of prison. And that's the other thing Scott's lost. Scott has always lost time with his daughter. He lost mm. time when he was in prison. 
He came Good out, point. had to re- had a reunion. Why did he become Ant-Man in the first place? So that he could see his kid, because he needed money to see his kid. And so, and, and that was the shortcut. That was how he saved time. He made a deal with Hank Pym so that he could end up being able to see his daughter in, shorter, in a shorter amount of time and not lose any more time than he already lost. And so now you you fast forward to this one or what happened in Endgame, end of Ant-Man and the Wasp slash Endgame, he lost five years with his daughter. So he already lost years when he was in prison. Then he loses five more years. And now this time, in order to get in order to get it uh, back, now th- this time, the deal that he's making, instead of it being with Hank Pym, who's well-intended, now it's with Kang, who is Ill in- who has ill intent. Um, but this is the same kind of deal that Scott's been willing to make and the risks he's been willing to um, take in order to in order to have more time with his kid. And I go back to that scene in Endgame, and granted, it's you know a different uh, actress with Emma Furman, I think her name, playing uh, Cassie in uh, in Endgame. And I know uh, we have Catherine Newton this time around, but that scene and Paul Rudd's performance in it is so good. In uh, in Endgame, where he is devastated, relieved, and happy, like all at once, there is the the set that there's the happiness that that this is my daughter, this is the woman that she's grown up to be, and and I love her. But there is also a tremendous amount of sadness there. Of oh my god, I lost all you know, I lost all this time again. And so you can understand I, why Scott wants to get that back. And, and, and I know they'll probably play into this a little bit. Okay, so Kat, they're getting Cassie out of jail at some point in this trailer. I don't necessarily know that, that you know, that, that Scott's super worried about, oh, you know, Cassie's going to be going away to prison for if I, don't, if I don't do something. I don't think it's quite on that level, but... And I don't think it's because he feels like, you know, if he doesn't intervene, Cassie won't be able to figure her life out. Uh, maybe there's some of that as a dad, but I, I also think it's just him as a father. And you can call it selfish, but, you know, it's it's also totally understandable that he he wants that time back. He lost that time with his kid and, you know, he he wants to have it back. And if he feels like that would have a more positive impact on her, you know, possibly, but also certainly a more positive impact on him. And that is an extremely tempting thing. But of course, you know, that's going to lead to some conversations between Scott and Cassie because maybe she doesn't doesn't mind where her life is right now. And, and that will also be part of, as you said, the, you know, the other theme there of like, you know, trying to hold on to the past, trying to hold on to things you can't you can't even get back, even if you really wanted to, even if it looks like you could get them back versus the the acceptance of the imperfections of life and the journey up until this point and how do mm-hmm. you and how do you move forward in the best way and how do you move forward in the best way for you for your daughter for everyone that's involved and 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 everything everything that factors into that sort of decision making and, and for and that emotional and psychological exploration uh, for Scott Lang all of that is thematically i think very consistent with uh, with where we were at from the start of this, you know, you go back to Hank Pym saying, you know, this is your chance to earn, you know, your daughter's look in your eye. And I think for Scott with this movie, it's a, it's somewhat along those lines, except for, you know, it, it's not, the temptation is to get back the time that was lost. But the ultimate realization is when you're talking about 
earning that look in your daughter's eye. That has nothing to do, that really doesn't have as much to do with what you want. It has a lot more to do with what she wants and also showing her, you know, what the best example is um, and showing her the best example that you can be as a dad, as a hero of making the sacrifice of, of being, of ultimately making the selfless choice, the selfless choice that he seems to be making at the end of the movie, whether or not Kang's going to let him is a totally different story. But in terms of where Scott's at emotionally in his arc, I think it is at its core, very consistent with the trajectory of this franchise from the very beginning. And that is what takes a very big, expanded, blown-up version of the Ant-Man franchise in this third film, but still allows it to be a satisfying, emotional payoff and continuation for those of us who've been big fans of this franchise uh, throughout its previous two films. And, of course, Scott's big appearance, you know, bit, literally big appearance in Civil War, and then, you know, plot-wise, an emotional, emotionally big appearance in Endgame. Well... You know, one of the things that I was I was thinking about with, with Kang and this whole thing about, you know, moving forward and, and past and, and, and hold on to the past, you know, he, it represents it, that's the anti King model. And the King model is to go back in the past and fix it. And moving forward and only looking forward is not what he wants to do. And why is that? And I, I brought that comic earlier because I'm curious um, I always, but you know me, I can't pronounce people's names. Just gotta just accept it, y'all. Um, Ravana, Ravana, uh, I forgot her name. Um, yeah. the what, the, the uh, is it Ravana? Um, I think it's, in, I think I've, and I'm trying to remember how they pronounce it in Loki. I think Ravona, Ravona. Um, you know, she's, she's in, um, Loki. Now, I, I honestly think that that, in that actress, I'm hoping the same actress, cause I really liked her in, in Loki. Yeah. Gugu and Batha Ra. Yeah, she, I'm curious if, if, you know, back in that comic series, you know, Kang's whole life is disrupted because of love. And I'm curious if, if maybe, you know, that's how he's able to connect with, with Scott is saying, listen, I know what it's like to use time to save loved ones. Because one of the cool things about, I think, that comic series is that he's always seeking out this a version of uh, Ravana, And it's like, it's never the same. And I think that's, and he, but he's obsessed with finding this, the right version that he fell in love with. And it's not, there's always these different variations. And I thought, I thought back to Loki and I'm like, man, cause like, you know, he has, cause basically he who remains has her as like the head honcho. Right. So like, she's the one who reports to he who remains. So how many different versions of that character or that person is out there that Kang has been seeking out? Like, you know, cause he's been trapped and it kind of, and I have no idea if that's where they're going to go. I've really, I don't really keep, I, I'm not, I'm not married to that idea necessarily, but I'm just saying there's that idea of how he, does he connect with, with, with Scott. I look back to look back to that. And I'm like, man, like that is a heavy uh, emphasis, uh, emphasis on the Kang character in all the comic books, especially that last comic series, which I thought was really, I thought it was great. I loved it. And I thought it did a great job of showing you what makes Kang Kang and why he's out there trying to conquer, why he's always trying out. Cause when he gets defeated, like you said, Sean, he's out there like, I'm going to teach my younger self. And I, and I don't think they're gonna, it's going to go that deep into that idea, but I will say that different variations, what does that mean? We see Scott get duplicated, right? What is, what does that mean for, uh, cause you know, what is, what is, I mean, um, we see Scott get duplicated and then we see, the, I mean, who right. knows how many versions of Scott right. basically doing the whole, basically being the fire ants from the first Ant-Man movie. But what is, but what is, um, 
uh, Wanda uh, say, or Wanda, Janet, what does Janet say in to him? He, he, he can um, bend time, but he also says something else about like uh, duplicating. Um, does she say something like that? Like she mentioned something about shattering timelines and uh, I'll, Going back through the trailer to see, uh, yeah. So oh, he can rewrite. She says he can rewrite existence and shatter okay. timelines. Okay, I thought she said something about um, uh, duplicating people, but I thought it was fascinating. I'm like, well, why is why is there multiple Ant Men here, and what does that mean? And again, you're foreshadowing. I think Immortus. I think Rama Tut. Maybe uh, you know Red Centurion. We're talking. There's all kinds of different things they could be foreshadowing in that, and. And that to me is where I'm very curious of where, you know, because because phase five is going to be a very much because obviously with Thanos, Sean, he was always behind the scenes. And and right now we don't really have a lot of Kang emphasis besides quantum mania. Where does where does he go from there? How much behind the scenes action is he going to have leading up to Kang Dynasty or his other films? Well, Just, you got to figure Loki season two. Um, is another spot for for him to pop up in um, in between this film and uh, and Kang Dynasty. But I, I think there's other spots, you know, secretly where he could pop up. I mean, you, you can't rule him out from being somewhere in the Marvels. And and I look, he's not going to be the main. I, I don't think he's going to be the main antagonist. Maybe again in Loki season two, but he's not going to be the main antagonist. I think in another film between now. And I, and I wouldn't even be surprised if they find another, I mean, a different variant of him or maybe an, an entirely different antagonist for Loki season two for all is we he, know. Is he in Loki? Do we do we know Jonathan Majors has seen I, filmed I, in Loki season two? I, I don't know because I, I stay away. I do my best Same. to stay away. So I, I right. don't know. I, I don't mm. think he's been part of the announced cast for Loki season two. But he wasn't, but he wasn't, was he confirmed in the first season? I don't think he was, was he? Uh, no, 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 he was not. He was not because they, well, there yeah. you go. Uh, yeah. Which, so, which, what I mean, here's the thing could Immortus show up in that one and where it's like maybe oh, totally. Loki, it, it, maybe the Loki's together are going to be the ones who are going to be emphasized, maybe save the heroes. Like, there's, there's, there's lots of fascinating ideas where they could go with this. Like, I'm like, I, it's crazy because I, you know, it took a while, I think, to get to, to get to this point as far as like, you know, what, where the phases are going to the, the, the multiverse saga that they, you know, talk about. But now we've kind of seen the films come out and we see quantum mania is going to be pretty much the, the coming of Kang. I mean, I'm like, I'm just like, I've, I'll be honest, Sean, it's really, re, you know, that serve we talked about before the show, it, this is where the surge comes in. I'm like, well, what are they going to do? Cause there's so many, the, the possibilities are really endless with so many different properties. I mean, even high evolutionary and Kang could have, you know, some kind of connection in some ways, you know, so there's, would, there's something there that I would probably say is I'd put in the less likely category. Cause I think, you know, James Gunn was, was very happy to keep guardians of the galaxy volume two separate from a lot of the other infinity saga goings on. And I think he would probably want to do that again for you know his finale uh for guardians three so i'm not anticipating much there but at the same time you know you can never rule it out totally and and so um but suffice to say like i, I just think the main point here i i think with of what i came away from this trailer really enjoying is yeah everything about kang um, but also in terms of what he wants from scott i, I think yeah, he does say, you know, you will, the threat he makes to Scott is, you know, there's the, there's the nicer version of the offer of like the, you know, 
you lost a lot of time like me. I can help you with that. You know, very nice. And, you know, let me let me do you a solid. And then it turns into, I'll make this really simple for you. You bring me what I need or everything you call a life will end. And so, I mean, obviously that's a threat to Scott. It's a threat to everyone he loves, all of those things. And which, you know, somebody who can rewrite existence and shatter timelines has the power to do. So that's obviously a, a real threat as far as Scott is concerned. But also, I think uh, in terms of what Scott or what Kang needs from Scott, um, you know, bring me what I need. So there's some piece that's missing. So basically, Kang, and we kind of laughed this off, I think, on another show. We were talking about the teaser trailer or something else. Like, does Kang need Scott to do another heist? Is this another heist movie uh, or whatever that may be? I, I'm not sure. I'm still interested to know the answer to that question. But the answer to, but that question brings me to uh, something that I can't believe we've made it this deep into this podcast without mentioning Modoc, who uh, makes his debut in this trailer. The biggest, best shot of Modoc has the the faceplate, but in the shot that people have been sharing, where you see the background and there is no mask. That sure looks like Corey Stoll, who was Darren Cross, a.k.a. Yellow Jacket, in the first film. We talk about bringing things full circle, and, and if, that's, if that's true, and that's who that is, we were texting about this uh, on Monday night when the trailer debuted, but it is kind of interesting to see, like, how would Cross have ended up in this situation being MODOK? Yeah. And the, the, the only thing that I can think about, in, in terms of plot function is Cross becomes Modoc as almost like this pet thing helping Kang because because he has no other options because basically this is Darren Cross getting sucked into the quantum realm and just trying to survive and whatever Kang needs from Scott he probably initially wanted from Darren Cross thinking that here's somebody who came from Earth one and Earth in a timeline all the way down into the quantum realm and has survived. Maybe this person can help me with whatever I need is his Kang's thought. And then this guy can't help. So he basically becomes Modoc and Darren Cross isn't going to argue with it because it keeps him alive. And maybe this is becoming Modoc was the only way he could stay alive, even physically after being dropped into the quantum realm. But maybe this is how Kang became aware of Scott is Darren Cross telling him about Scott. Maybe this is how Kang... Uh, realized that he would need someone else, and Scott is the person who might actually be able to help him, and that's why he has to make this deal slash threat with Scott Lang. So I am very interested. I, I don't know totally how I feel about Darren Cross being Modoc, but I'm I'm fine with it. Um, you know, it connects things to back to the first film in this franchise. Uh, I'm and it's it's just Modoc who's just fun, and so as long as we get that in in this movie then I'm I'm cool with that and if they find you know tying it into the larger fabric of the storytelling of the franchise I think it's a, a neat way to have Modoc in this but um, it still just leads me back to the question of of why what why exactly Kang needs Scott but I'm you know we can harp on the question all, all we want here but I'm, I'm actually glad that they didn't you know answer that for us or spoil it in the trailer well yeah I, I think that <clears throat> First of all, I, I totally forgot what happened to Yellow Jacket in the first movie, like where how he exactly dies. Did he get sucked into the quantum, quantum yeah, realm? Yeah, because the, you know, basically he has no regulator or whatever, and Scott flies through 
As, well, that's, that's how, right. Yeah, and so Scott or Scott basically busts up the suit, and we see Yellow Jacket basically get sucked into himself. And so I, I don't know that they actually said he went into the quantum realm, but it just you know, we knew he just shrunk and shrunk and shrunk into himself, and either he shrunk into nothingness or he went into the quantum realm. And turns out, looks like he went into the quantum realm. Well, and if he and like I said, he could be a variant. It's also an idea. Um, but I think you're right. It's probably the same character. And and listen, Modok in the comics, <clears throat> he's he's a ridiculous concept. And if just because you know in the comic books, he's built by AIM. You know, like right. it, it's not it's not exactly. Yeah, you're you know, you're not gonna say that Aldrich Killian made Modok in in the MCU. Yeah, yeah, ain't gonna happen. Sorry, I'm the Mandarin. Um, you know. <laughs> I'm the Modok. <laughs> I'm the yeah. But to be to be honest, I actually like this idea a lot. It makes a lot more sense because the quantum realm is so nutty. And by the way, for those who I said microverse, I did. I, I meant to say quantum realm. Sorry, microverse yeah, quantum fine. realm. They're kind of the same. Well, they're kind of the same thing because um they. Because one like stops time. I think the microverse stops. Um, I get I get I get the negative zone microverse and the all those things mixed up. Um, either way, uh, I do like the idea of Yellow Jacket being sucked in and then and using this character that people always like to say like there's a weak villain, which I thought Yellow Jacket was great. I, I like Yellow lot. Jacket is a perfectly solid antagonist in that movie. Exactly. Yeah, Daryl Cross was you know was was fine. Um. The thing is with Modok, it's Darren Cross, but now I really Darren wish Cross. his name was Daryl. <laughs> oh, damn it! Oh, look at me, man. I am just God. As I get older, it's actually, on it, now I kind of hope Modok is a variant named Daryl Cross. There you go. There, see, I'm giving you guys gold. No, but I do like this idea because the concept of Modok makes a lot more sense in the quantum realm than it does like in real life in a bunch, you know, yes. Hydra aim building them. Like this makes way more sense. And like, I love your idea that. Maybe he knows. Well, first of all, I, w- I want to say, how does he know about Scott and everything? The one thing that we we have to remember as an audience, and I'm just going to, you know, if you guys want to know this going forward, is that the, in the comics, Kang's aware of the Avengers. Mm. Like, he's aware of who they are. He need, he's, he's yeah. aware that well, they're like the And champions. this one is, too. Like, he, he acknowledges right. that Scott is an Avenger. Mm-hmm. So he knows like Scott's importance and what he can, how he can use them for what his gain is. Cause yeah. he's probably studied them and knows yeah. them inside. Well, this and Kang has already fought Avengers. Cause in the comic con footage, and they also showed a D 23 said like, you're an Avenger. Have I killed you before? So this, this mm. is a Kang who has already battled and, and killed Avengers. There, well there. Yeah. So there you go. So he knows these, these, these people inside and out. And this is where it's really, it's crazy is that maybe he knows who, who, uh, Darren, uh, cross is. And the fact that maybe he knows he can use Darren and needs Darren to kind of help manipulate and get things where he needs to go. And by using him as MODOK and, you know, it's it's an interesting idea. I, I think it works, honestly, because the one thing here's the one thing, people, that I'm and this is where I'm like, I get really excited, Sean, is where, you know, one of the things I loved about uh infinity war is the henchmen i love the black order like i i think they i wish i had we had them more right we had them a little bit in endgame but i love me some henchmen like not like henchmen like the foot like the foot clan like those like not like like not not jatari not those people like not the <laughs> not the chopped liver you know what, 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 you what like hench generals of? not henchmen I, yeah i want yeah exactly i want hench generals you know and that's the thing like i proxima midnight like um Clovis, um, they're great. And <laughs> Corvus Glaive, yeah. <laughs> see, see what I'm saying? I'm doing it again. Do it again. Um, Corvus Clovis, come on. 
Uh, anyway, but I love I love these characters. And the thing with Kang is he's got some. They're kind of ridiculous, like old 60s-like characters. But there's a lot of stuff that we've been, we've heard rumors of that you could use Kang, and which there's a there's Secret Wars ultimately the biggest one. But but either way, there's lots of other cool villains we could, we haven't seen yet in the Marvel in the uh, MCU yet that we're gonna get probably through Kang. And I think that's really fascinating to think about what he could do. And Modok's a great example of that of like just one thing that you can bring in and go, hey, I think we bring this character in, we can bring that character in through Kang. There's lots of really cool ideas you can do. And I mean, yeah, Modox is one a tip of the iceberg in my opinion. So there's lots of cool things I think that are gonna be coming um because of Kang himself. So man, I, I just it's it's weird like now that we've gotten closer and we've seen the fruits of 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 what King can do through Loki series and everything. It's I gotta tell you, Quantum Mania. I haven't seen it yet, and I'm, but if it's anything like these trailers, I'm I'm gonna be going nuts in that theater. So I think there's there's a there's so many more possibilities that I didn't even think about were possible now after watching these trailers. And I'm like, man, this is gonna be crazy. So I'm I'm super stoked. Yeah, I'm just picturing Clovis Glaive, Corvus's mom, who like works in a space diner and never misses a free coffee refill. Like it's just I, oh, I don't know. God. No, everything. I agree with what you're saying about this trailer. I mean, I, I know one other thing I, I want to make sure we touch on before we wrap up is I, I know there's a, a lot of uh, a couple things, actually. Uh, one is we see we see Scott get beat up pretty good here. Like the, the shot of Kang stomping the helmet and then the helmet down on the ground like that's not I don't think that's a death blow to Scott. I think that's actually what precedes all these shots we see of him without his helmet right. and then getting yeah. beaten up by Kang. Um, I, I've seen some people you know, talking about how like, oh, this is kind of similar to uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and that trailer kind of teasing Rocket's demise and, and you know, this one doing the same thing. I don't necessarily... I don't necessarily see it this way. I mean, I, I didn't come away from this trailer expecting Scott Lang to die. doesn't mean he won't. Um, but I, I think the point of showing Kang doing this, I, I think it's just it's selling the threat level of Kang, the the intimidation of Kang. Um, and I think it's also part of, again, we're, we're putting Ant-Man, we're keeping the emotional core intact, but we are putting this character in a different space. And we're, we're really not used to seeing Scott in this level of peril. And, and so I, I think it is just, it, it's all about maintaining the emotional core while also setting a different tone for this movie. And, and so I think it's really more along those lines. And obviously they want you to, you know, be fearful for Scott and, and look, he might, I mean, but I don't think it's because Kang kills Scott so much as, as Scott says, you know, I just need us both to lose. Well, if them both losing means Scott is sacrificing himself to save others, then yeah, that's the the type of noble heroic sacrifice that our, our dear superheroes sometimes have to make. And so something like that could certainly happen um, in this movie. But at the same time, I, I'm not, uh, and maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I, I'm not going into this movie super worried that Scott Lang is not going to make it out um, at the same time, though, I, I I don't expect him to have the clear, resounding victory that we typically see at the end of these movies because, uh, you know, Kang continues on. And even though you could say, you know, well, well, Scott can just kill this version of Kang because there will be another one that will come along. Yes, that's true. But 
Marvel is now officially marketing this as the beginning of a new dynasty. And so I think it will be made clear to the audience by the end of this movie, even if Scott somehow survives and claims some form of small victory, um, that the threat of Kang still looms large in the MCU. I, I think the audience will walk out of this movie understanding that very, very clearly. And I'm totally fine with that. And I, I like the idea of, and it, you still have to try and pull off that trick, right? Of how do you provide satisfying resolution to this story while keeping the threat of Kang going. But I think there are numerous ways to do that. I think they will have found one of the best ones and, and give that to us in this movie. Um, but yeah, this is... Uh, we had a, a, a small, informal, small, you know, uh, a private introduction to He Who Remains as a variant of Kang in Loki but this is the Kang coming out party in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. So, you know, he might take a, a mini L if Scott is able to, to survive this film. Um, but you're, everybody will know that, you know, that the Kang dynasty is, is on its way by the end of this movie. Well, yeah, I, I think Kang is, it's his coming out party. And it's it's going to blow people away. And I think they're going to make people be like, look at top Thanos. And he's not going to have the top Thanos. And I think he's just going to be different and interesting. Like gotta be awesome in his own way. Exactly. 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 And, and here's, here's my, before we wrap up here, I want to give one prediction that I don't think we've talked about yet. And, or maybe we have, or you're already thinking this, but bear with me. My opinion is I don't think Scott's going to die. What I do think though, and and it does try to repeat itself a little bit, but I do think that he will sacrifice himself to a point where he'll have to like be gone for a while and he'll, he'll be, and he'll be older the next time we see him, but he'll be like more experienced and help bring people, bring some kind of Avenger team together of some kind, whether it be young Avengers or the new Avengers or something like that. It's going to be a way for keeping Paul Rudd in the MCU without having to like have him be in like a zillion different movies, but still be an important part of the character, you know, important character character and have him like have like some kind of substance when he comes back to like oh man ant-man's back and he's like i've got i know how to defeat kang you know or whatever like he's gonna have something like he's gonna have more insight because it feels like you know where do you go with the character i don't think you kill off paul rudd he's just too valuable to the mcu in my opinion and i I just don't think you do that if you do i'd be that that takes guts and i i commend them and i and that's gonna be a gut wrench right and like you said, like, you know, what people said, well, it's like, you know, we kill a rocket. You know, we don't know what's going to happen in either of these movies. But that being said, I just don't think they're going to do it. He's just, he's just, everyone loves Paul Rudd. And I just think that like what they're probably going to do is take him off the table a little bit and have him have a, a resurface when he's going to help the Avengers or help some either young Avengers do something where he's going to bring people together because he knows wherever he's, wherever he goes at the end of Quantum Mania, Sean, it's going to be, he's going to know King's plan. He'll be like facing Kang for a long time of some of some sort, and he's going to be the key of helping defeat Kang himself, or not him himself, but like him bringing people together and getting them, you know, to fight and and uh, or what, you know, getting the right thing, the pieces together to defeat Kang. That's what I feel is going to end up happening. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I do think uh, my my prediction for Scott remains. I, I still see he and Hope being chaperones to the Young Avengers at some point. Um, I thought that might be this movie before it turned into Quantum Mania. It became such a massive thing uh, with such far-reaching implications on the MCU, or, or so we think. More on that in a moment. Um, but yeah, I 
I don't know about having Scott be like lost in time and then coming back. I mean, that was kind of what he did in Endgame, but some other version of of getting him into that chaperone mentor type of role, um, I, I think is uh, definitely a natural progression for him as a character. And it it would be a satisfying resolution to the whole idea of look, you can't you can't get things back when when time is lost, you can't get it back, but you can make the most of the time you still have as you move forward. And I think that would be a way to kind of provide a satisfying resolution for Scott Lang. Um, so I could definitely see that. But be, before we get out of here, I, I do want to throw out a couple things because, and I'm okay, by the way, with these things I'm talking about that I'm just kind of hoping and wondering about how they're going to factor into the movie. Um, These are not criticisms of the trailer because I don't want the trailer to show us everything. I I wouldn't want it to show us any more than what it did. I think it was perfect. It gave us the emotional through line, the emotional stakes for Scott Lang. It gave us a, a very powerful look at, uh, at Kang the Conqueror, all of that stuff, you know, all that stuff works for me. And it just looked crazy and cool and, and mind blowing and fun in, in the quantum realm and just so massive and, and everything like all of that. This trailer did what it was supposed to do. Um, so it's one of the better, you know, one of the better MCU trailers that we've had in recent years. It's one of my favorites just instantly. And I, and I love it. So um, not a knock on the trailer. It's just, okay, well, here are the things that the trailer's not showing us that, I hope, or uh, no pun intended, or in this movie, but starting with hope. Like, there's not, so far, there's not a whole lot of Wasp in this Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania movie. It's it's Ant-Man, it's Quantumania, it's Kang, not so much of the Wasp. We see her in action, we see her with Scott, but I don't really know where Hope Van Dyne factors into this story other than she's with Scott. So I do hope, uh, and again, no pun intended, that... Because that was one of my knocks on Ant-Man and the Wasp. Even, again, I, I like that movie, but by moving, you know, by putting Wasp in the title, I thought the character would get a, a little bit more emphasis than she got in that movie. Although, Grant, I mean, she got enough to justify, you could certainly make the argument that she got enough to justify putting her in the title, although I still think she could have got more there. Um, but this one, I, I'm... It, I'm I'm not seeing why Wasp is in the title other than she was in the title last time, but I, I want to see how she's factoring into this, you know, in terms of the story and of course emotionally. Although I almost feel like the 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 titular Wasp in this one might actually be Janet because and and I take that as a a major plus because I was so excited when they announced that Michelle Pfeiffer was Janet Van Dyne, the original Wasp, way back when at, at Comic Con. And then didn't feel like they gave her nearly enough to do in Ant-Man and the Wasp, but she definitely is one of the drivers of this story. I mean, literally on the little thing they're flying on in the quantum realm, but she knows the deal. She knows the history of the quantum realm. She knows the stakes of the quantum realm and of Kang. So I really like that it looks like Michelle Pfeiffer is going to get an increased role in this movie compared to the previous film. But my other, my bigger ask for this movie and, and what I... What I hope to come away from with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is, you know, because of the way this, you know, is being marketed as this next, you know, this is the next major event and a a huge, you know, a huge kickoff of things in the MCU. It's launching a brand new phase. This will be the first film of, of phase five, a huge turning point in the multiverse saga. I do think now 
that we have a movie where Kang is the main antagonist. You know, we've been dancing around the multiverse a little bit now with with Loki and Spider-Man No Way Home and Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And there's been a lot of talk about the stakes of the multiverse and, and how and how massive the multiverse can be and the potential of the multiverse. But I think when you look at those stories, they've been relatively self-contained. And what they're showing us in the trailer almost looks relatively self-contained. It's all localized to the quantum realm. I I hope this is the movie. I mean, and, and it's not, it, it can't pay everything off. We still got to do Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars, obviously. But I do want to come out of this movie feeling like the multiverse... Re- starting to feel a lot more of the the scope and the, the scale of the multiverse in a way that it's been teased in other projects. I really want to start to feel those implications in a bigger way in this movie because now we have something where it's not just he who remains coming in at the end of a series it is, or a season. It is Kang the Conqueror being there as the main antagonist for a movie. And so um, and by the way, none of this is stuff they should show us in the trailer. So I, I, I'm not saying this should have been in the trailer. It totally should not have been, because however Kang is going to blow up and expand the idea of the multiverse for us in the MCU, I hope they save that for the movie. I just hope that there is something that they are saving for the movie um, in that respect, because it is time for the multiverse to kind of level up in the MCU. If we're not going to get it with Kang, then we're not going to get it with anybody Again, none of that's a complaint or a criticism. I like the way that they have paced this and developed this so far, but now it, it's time for the, it is time for a, a big moment of escalation in the MCU, and it looks and feels like Quantum Mania could be that moment, Paul. Yeah, I, I think this is the turning point. I, I really do. I think this is where I think people get really psyched for you know if if all goes well as I as I anticipate, I do think this will bring people back to, who are maybe skeptical to go, okay, Kang's pretty awesome. Like, yeah, I, I, I want to know what's going to happen with Kang next. And, it, and it's just going to grow from there when you have the, you know, it really has set up well for the MCU, I think this year. I mean, we, we say that every year, but it really is because you've got the, 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 the coming out of Kang, which I think is going to be huge. And then, you know, you're following Wakanda forever, which is a huge hit, a phenomenal film. And you've got, you know, the coming out of Kang. Then you go from there to the ending of the Galaxy trilogy, which is going to be a huge emotional roller coaster. And then you have, you know, from there, Marvels, which we don't, I haven't seen anything yet. I'm excited about that. But, you know, you really have set yourself up for like a really, really dynamic year. And even the Marvels is a really interesting, you know, I know nothing about it. It's a couple of different things. And it sounds bonkers and crazy and just a completely different film than we've gotten before. But you you have like three really interesting characters, which I'm really excited to see all on the same screen. Um, it, it really is setting itself up for something really fascinating and interesting. And I just I'm in dynamic and I'm really excited to see these these films and where they're going to go. And yeah, I, I, I think it all starts with Quantum Mania. And I think it's I think people are going to be brought into the MCU and they're going to be really intrigued. I, I think it's an, I, I said it before. I think with phase five. People are going to want to go back and revisit Phase Six. They're going to want to go back and rewatch the Multiverse of Madness. They're going to watch Loki, rewatch No Way Home. I mean, we watch No Way Home, No Way Home anyway. But um, you know, watch these all these multiverse you know things and and get to know some of these characters because I think they're going to be proven to be uh, big big deals later on in the MCU. And I think um, like you know the Eternals and the and and, and the Marvels. I think they're going to be more connected connected than people probably think. And it's going to be. 
a lot of cosmic stuff with with Guardians ending. There's going to be a lot of cosmic stuff that's going to be coming out, and I think it's going to be really exciting what what Marvel does. I mean, with what people don't realize with, with with the addition of Fox, and now you have the Fantastic Four, and you have the Silver Surfer. The the dynamic and the diversity of storytelling they can do just it went up exponent, you know, just huge. It was huge, you know. And so Silver Surfer's coming. There's so many different things that are coming out there that. This is all going to help pretty much pretty much usher in. It's going to be really exciting. So I think Kang is just the tip of the iceberg of what of the crazy content, and I say crazy in the best way possible of really different. I mean, really different kinds of stories and really more cosmic ideas, which we haven't really explored as much, um, you know, in the MCU, and we're starting to. And I think people are that's the stuff that people are more resonating for is the, that crazier kind of ideas, like multiverse of madness. Say what you want. It's crazy, and it it's the most successful financially of, of all the films. And I think there's a part of that. I think people gravitate, and they may not love the, all all the things in the movie, Sean. But of all the films like, in 2022, but yeah, but I think, but I think what makes it uh, appealing to people is that over the craziness well, of Marvel where Studios it goes. films in 2022. We're aware that there are other films that have made more money. Well, yes, yes, but I say Marvel films. Um, but and, and that's what I'm saying. I think the more it feels like the people are gravitating towards more of the crazier concepts, um, if you will. So, and I think I think Phase Five is going to be one crazy concept from what we can tell. So I'm I am excited, and I think it's it's going to help. I think Phase Four is going to help form Phase Five, and I think it's going to make Phase Four look even better once Phase Five kind of goes through its uh, it goes through its motions and everything. Yeah, I mean that we've seen that before in the MCU that as certain things get paid off or evolve it reaches back into other things and can actually make them even better and, and that much more satisfying to to go back and and rewatch. and so yeah i think that look phase four yeah that you know just because i wasn't a huge fan of multiverse of madness doesn't mean i don't like phase four i loved phase four i think there's so much great stuff and some you know, there's some Marvel masterpieces out there in uh, in Phase Four, and and I really enjoyed it. But you know, as we transition to Phase Five in in this next leg of the of the multiverse saga, I you know it's it's time for something else to come in and, and be a big event and a tone setter for I think how things are going to progress in the MCU. And the Ant Man franchise gets that honor here, and it looks like it's just going to be an absolute crazy emotional fun in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania with just an outstanding antagonist that I know isn't like super brand new because of Loki, but new enough in this variant uh, that we are getting in Quantumania. And I, I think Jonathan Majors is kind of is, I mean, guy's already a superstar, but just come out of it on yet another level uh, for this movie. But also, uh, this entire franchise and, and the way it's being elevated in this movie while staying true to its emotional core. It's a pretty neat trick uh, that it looks like they're going to be able to pull off with this movie. And I I could not be more excited about it. I know uh, I may not sound like that, but it's, it's the end of a, a podcast recording session. But uh, the enthusiasm, it's there. And I am I'm so excited to watch this movie next month and uh, react to it. And I'll I'll start blocking out the time now because who knows Next how long month. that uh, yeah who knows how long that spoiler review is going to need to be who oh, knows dude. <laughs> I don't even I don't even want to I don't even want to estimate it and or begin to estimate it until I, we, I until we see this bad boy off. yeah I, I just I'm gonna tell Morgan I'm like listen I'm gonna be useless when we record like you know I, yeah. for, for for no way home I had to basically say like listen 
Yeah. I need the whole evening. Like from five o'clock on, she's like, really? I'm like, Morgan, I'm going to need it. And we did. We did. We, did. we needed it. We did. Uh, and, and, and who knows? Like, we'll, we'll see where we end up with, uh, with quantum mania, but I, I am so excited about it. So, uh, but that is it for this edition of MCU Fan Show. But again, not the only place you can hear us talking about the MCU. You can check out Fan Show Plus, where, uh, yeah, this movie comes up and other uh, relevant MCU topics uh, where I'm answering some questions. So you can check that out, whether it's a patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts. Just search for the MCU Fan Show channel or Fan Show Plus on Apple Podcasts. You can find it there and subscribe and uh and get those episodes and then follow us in those places you can we're at mcu fan show still uh over on instagram and twitter paul where can they find you you can find me on twitter at uh, herman 22 with two ends aka p thug please go over to the youtube comic binge channel and please subscribe to there and there's been lots of great stuff out there um, next month, the MCU required reading returns. I'm going to have one of our fellow listeners actually named Adam Nye, who's in a, a band called too bad. Eugene, go check that out. His band out there. He's put on a new record. Um, he's going to join me and we're going to talk about uh, that came very Kane comic. We discussed a little bit ago. So I'm very nice. excited to go. Yeah. We're going to break that mother down and I'm excited because I, I think that comic is, is fantastic. And, and which by the way, Sean, those same writers, it's a, it's a two, a group of two guys. Yeah. Jackson Lansing are, and Colin Kelly. Yeah. Dude, they are writing it in the new Captain America series, and uh, this, this is going to blow your mind. This It's like – it's the best Captain America since Brubaker. Wow. And, I, and you know what? I've, yeah. I'm not alone. People have been like – Cue said like that, they the go, Andy oh. Samberg, Nick Cage impersonation of that's high praise. Like that's uh, it's, that's, no, that's I, saying I, something. I'm not, I'm tell, I mean it, I don't know if it's as good. But I, I I wouldn't I'm not saying it's not it, even it's not even possible. best sense is still high praise because that's there's there's been good stuff since then, bro. I'm I'm telling you, it's it's fantastic. Like I've I've been if you're out there, if you like if you like cap, you, you go out, get set no liberty, liberty. It's phenomenal. Like I there's a concept in there that it blew my mind. I'm like, what? And I and, and when I read what I found out really quick side tangent, when I found out that the writers from Kang wrote Captain America. I'm like, uh, and people have been telling me to read Cap. I'm like, ah, you know, whatever. I went, oh, wait a minute. Okay, I, I got to read Cap now. And afterwards, I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? It's fantastic. So yeah, go out and get the new Captain America, Sentinel Liberty. It's fantastic. And art is fantastic. Go, it's, yeah, you won't regret it. If you like Captain America, you will not regret it. I promise. Very nice. Well, I will have to check that out as I recommend that you all do as well. And hey, if you want to follow me, you can do that on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.